Hello there, patron only dialoguers. Yes, this is exclusively for uh, the lovely folks over at Patreon. I appreciate you all so much. And I think a lot, I, I tend to write a lot. Um, everything doesn't always get posted, but as I um, sat and was thinking in my head a lot, I decided because I wanted to do more patron only content, why not, you know, start producing and publishing these things that I just jot down in my, uh, my thinking time. And so this was one of the things that I was thinking about. So, um, although Martin Luther King Day was in January, it was January 20th this year. That's okay because Dr. Martin Luther King isn't just a black icon. He's a American icon. He's a world icon. You know, he's known all over the world. He's cultural icon. He's just an amazing man altogether. So many people celebrate him. And so it, it's really malpractice to only talk about him on Martin Luther King Day or in February. So with all that being said, I was originally gonna do this as a full episode but as I often do I was struggling with it going back and forth and decided not to but I didn't feel like it was finished for some reason so I just kind of left it alone and then I I kept feeling like I needed to add something then when uh Kobe Bryant was you know the news hit about him and all that I kept hearing all of the tributes and you know the accolades that people were giving him and I kept hearing people describe how although he loved basketball it wasn't the only thing that defined him then I started to think about Dr. King and how we consistently define his life by one speech and one facet of his life but there was so much more to him we tend to do that a lot during Black History Month as well. You know, we, we talk about the same four or five people. We highlight and hear about the same people. And we ignore the thousands of other ancestors who have done excellent things in their lives. But this MLK Day, I was just in a mood. So <laughs> allow me to, to explain. So I've seen this photo going around lately. And of course, I'll attach it to the recording. But it's a picture of the report card from Crozer Theological Seminary where Dr. King went to college for his master's. And usually with the, the picture, it came with the caption like, um, Dr. King got a C in public speaking. Keep pushing and don't give up on your dream. <laughs> and although I understand the sentiment, my historical knowledge is blocking me from co-signing and reposting that. Growing up every year, our local association of churches would host what they called the Martin Luther King I Have a Dream contest. So students from all over the city would compete, bringing their best creativity to one subject, Dr. King. So basically every year, like most of America during this time, I sat and heard the same four facts about Dr. King and heard the same part from that one speech. So when I finally decided to follow in the footsteps of my first place winning cousins <coughs> uh, who came before me and finally entered the contest, I waited until my senior year of high school to finally do it, which was the last possible time I could enter. Um, 
I was like destined. I was determined to explore the life of Dr. King that I never heard about. I wanted to do something totally different. And I've really just been on that quest ever since. So what irks me the most about that picture and the narrative that went along with it was that it made it seem like Dr. King's aspiration was to become a public speaker. And it was not. What we know Dr. King for now is not what he set out to do, right? Dr. King's dream was to be a professor at a college and a pastor at a small church. And yes, public speaking does fall into that category, but the type of speaking that we praise him for today wasn't his goal. Necessity made Dr. King the great dreamer. Now, some may call it fate or destiny, but what we can't call it is part of Dr. King's original quote-unquote dream, right? He talks about this extensively in his autobiography. He says, ultimately, he and Coretta felt what he describes as a moral obligation to return to the South and put down roots there. This decision led them down a course that would forever change their lives, and it got me thinking, right? Dr. Matthew Stevenson has a recitation he often says before he preaches, and it starts out with, great men and women are only born for the time that they are needed the most. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. proves this to be correct, right? At only like 26 years old, he steps into the spotlight and for the next basically like 13 years, he takes the world on a whirlwind tour. All of this because he answered the call, which is basically one of the first lessons that I've learned from Dr. King's life is to answer the call. But can I? Like, can you? Because I honestly don't know if I would have done the same thing. I don't. I don't know if being in the same shoes and being in the same position as they, as Martin and Coretta were, I don't know if I would have just said, yeah, okay, let's pack up our lives and go down south where I know these people hate us. You know, like, I, I, the truth is, I don't know. And so what caught my attention the most about that photo wasn't his grades in public speaking only. It was his grades, period, right? I was always taught that Dr. King was borderline genius, which he was, but... I wasn't expecting to see any B's on his report card, let alone C's. So the fact that this 15-year-old college freshman was getting C's, even though he wasn't 15 at the time, he was at Crozier. But, you know, the fact that he was just getting C's was kind of comforting to me because it proved to me that he was human, right? We've idolized and painted such a heroic and penetrable image of him that I often fail to remember that he was just like me. And so what I interpreted from the image was that all of the background and academic courses like history and literature of the New Testament or introduction to the Old Testament, he was excelling at. So it wasn't that he didn't understand the information clearly because he was receiving A's. He had a grasp on it. I also noticed that he received an A minus in practice preaching. So that led me to believe that he wasn't the reason for the C's. I think the professor just didn't like his style of preaching, right? That Southern drawl, that slower pace, that sing song nature of Baptist preaching. All of that was probably present in his presentation, which was probably totally antithetical to the nine times out of ten white professor that he was presenting to. So I just feel like those two elements didn't go over well at Chester, Pennsylvania. Clearly the professor who taught practice preaching was okay with his style because he got an A-. minus, And so it just proves that it's all about how you interpret the information. And one of my many 
resources that I have. It says that Dr. King excelled at public speaking and participated in public speaking contests at Morehouse. His degrees span from sociology and English to religion to philosophy. Clearly, he was a well-rounded individual. He talks about his time there in chapter three of his autobiography. He says, for a number of years, I had been desirous of teaching in a college or a school of religion which led me to my second lesson which is regardless of how people receive you you have to remain resolute in what God told you although he may not have known exactly what all of this was going to mean he definitely had that urge and that inkling in him that knew it was all going to work out this MLK day I was just I was very pensive as I've said multiple times and I added to my thoughts by watching Emmanuel, which is the documentary uh, produced by Viola Davis and Stephen Curry uh, about the Charleston Nine shooting. It's a great documentary, but that was definitely the wrong day and the wrong time to watch it. Just way too many emotions. Anywho, uh, as I was in my head and simultaneously watching these families and the survivors of this horrific tragedy um, being visibly upset and grieving their loved ones still, you know, my heart began to break for them. But not just them, I started thinking of Dr. King's children. Bernice King, the only living and the youngest daughter of Dr. King, tweeted this on MLK Day this year. She said, please join me in celebrating my mother, Coretta Scott King. She founded the King Center, a memorial and nonviolence training center, less than three months after my father was assassinated. And she was diligent in her pursuit of MLK Day. She is the architect of the King legacy. Some men in the movement and in other leadership positions told her to stay home while they continued the work. But my mother was a peace advocate and activist before she met my father. She was married to the man and to the movement. End quote. So it's led me down a rabbit hole of being both pensive and thankful for the King family. I was even more heartbroken because I know what it's like to have to share your father or family member with other people. And now I am in no way comparing being a PK with being the daughter of Martin and Coretta King, but I am sympathizing with her pain, right? I don't think we celebrate the family enough. I don't think we celebrate the King family. I don't think we celebrate Malcolm X's family, the Megar Evers family, I, I just, I don't think that we celebrate the families enough. And so I also think that, and I, I really, really also think that MLK Day should be MLK and Coretta Day, but that's just me. Anywho, because uh, there would be no Martin without Coretta. I'm just saying. I grieve for the family this year. I know what it's like to lose a father at an early age. I can't imagine how hard it was for them and to have to do it on such a public and large scale. Yikes. They really had to grieve in front of the whole world. And no one should have to do that, let alone kids. His children were like really young when Dr. King was assassinated. Yolanda was 12 and she was the oldest, right? Martin III was 10, Dexter was 7, and Bernice was 5. And in their short life, they didn't even get a, a chance really to spend a lot of time with him because he was gone so much. And so the world's gain in getting to hear and experience the genius of Martin Luther King Jr. was the family's loss. And I, I feel that we, we miss just how impactful that is when we quote unquote celebrate his life. But I digress. So here I am thinking about his family's loss and this man's sacrifice. And I'm just asking myself, would I be able to answer the call that way he did? Would I put it all on the line for people who would misunderstand me and attack me and my family? I don't know if I could do it. We all say we want to make a difference and an impact, but 
Will we do so at the sacrifice of our family's peace and safety? Honestly, I don't know. Which is why Dr. Stevenson's words resonate so deeply with me. I'm alive right now because I am needed. You are alive right now because you are needed. So what are you doing with the time that you have? What am I doing with the time that I have, right? Whenever I survey the life of Dr. King, I always come away thinking that I am not doing nearly enough. I'm already almost four years older than he was when he was running the Montgomery Improvement Association. But I also trust God's timing, like Dr. King. So here's a clip from one of my favorite King speeches. You know, several years ago, I was in New York City autographing the first book that I had written. And while sitting there autographing books, a diminutive black woman came up. The only question I heard from her was, are you Martin Luther King? And I was looking down writing and I said, yes. The next minute I felt something beating on my chest. Before I knew it, I had been stabbed by this demented woman. I was rushed to Harlem Hospital. It was a dark Saturday afternoon. That blade had gone through and the x-rays revealed that the tip of the blade was on the edge of my aorta, the main artery. And once that's punctured, you're drowned in your own blood. That's the end of you. It came out in the New York Times the next morning that if I had merely sneezed, I would have died. Well, about four days later, they allowed me, after the operation, after my chest had been opened and the blade had been taken out, to move around in the wheelchair in the hospital. They allowed me to read some of the mail that came in and from all over the states and the world, kind letters came in. I read a few, but one of them I will never forget. I had received one from the president and the vice president. I've forgotten what those telegrams said. I'd received a visit and a letter from the governor of New York, but I've forgotten what that letter said. But there was another letter that came from a little girl, a young girl, who was a student at the White Plains High School. And I looked at that letter, and I'll never forget it. It said simply, Dear Dr. King, I am a ninth grade student at the White Plains High School. She said, while it should not matter, I would like to mention that I'm a white girl. I read in the paper of your misfortune and of your suffering. And I read that if you had sneezed, you would have died. And I'm simply writing you to say that I'm so happy that you didn't sneeze. And I want to say tonight, I want to say tonight that I too am happy that I didn't sneeze because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960. 
when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. And I knew that as they were sitting in, they were really standing up for the best in the American dream and taking the whole nation back to those great wells of democracy, which were dug deep by the founding fathers in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1961 when we decided to take a ride for freedom and ended segregation in interstate travel. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1962 when Negroes in Albany, Georgia, decided to straighten their backs up. And whenever men and women straighten their backs up, they are going somewhere because a man can't ride your back unless it is bent. If I had sneezed, If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been here in 1963. The black people of Birmingham, Alabama, aroused the conscience of this nation and brought into being the Civil Rights Bill. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have had a chance later that year in August to try to tell America about a dream that I had had. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been down in Selma, Alabama, to see the great movement there if I had sneezed. I wouldn't have been in Memphis to see a community rally around those brothers and sisters who are suffering. I'm so happy that I didn't sneeze. That's a favorite of mine for many reasons. One, because I grew up Kojic and um, frequented Mason Temple. That is Mason Temple, not Masonic Temple, people. Um, <laughs> in Mason Temple, Church of God in Christ, which is the very place where he was standing when he uttered those words. And so being able to stand in the exact place that Dr. King did just moments before he was unjustly taken from us is a harrowing feeling. But it's also my favorite because this speech was given impromptu. Okay, Dr. King had bars, y'all. <laughs> but he, he wasn't feeling well that night, right? He was in the bed, he was tired, it was raining. He didn't want to get out the bed. I know that feeling. But his associates called him and they were like, these people are not going to go home until they hear from you. Like, you you got to come down. And so he heeded the call, gave in the fate, and went to Mason Temple. And standing in the headquarters of the Church of God in Christ, which is now the largest black Pentecostal denomination in the world, Dr. King uttered, under the unction of the Holy Ghost, Hayama. Right, He gave what would be his last directions to his people. And I don't think that it was a coincidence that in his last speech, he admonished us that the work must continue. Whether he lived or died, we were always supposed to take the baton and continue the work that he started. That was always the plan. Dr. King didn't sneeze that year that he was stabbed because it wasn't his time to go. And if you're listening to this podcast, that means you haven't sneezed yet either and your work isn't finished. So this year, let's not merely go through the motions and repost a picture or retweet a hashtag or sign an online petition. Let's actually do the work that Dr. King started and died for. Let's go beyond dreaming and start planning, organizing, rallying and pushing forward the agenda of freedom and justice. Let's do the work, let's study, let's learn, let's grow, let's dream 
but plan and then implement the plan. That's the only way we're going to get to the mountaintop.